Yes, welcome back to Atypically Topical. What's up, Mindy? What's up? Nothing. <laughs> chilling. Just chilling. Dealing yeah. with, uh, we had like rain all day, literally all day. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do much, but. Whatever. Yeah. There's rainy days. It, it's rare here. <laughs> it's true. So, not like we're in London or anything, so. Yeah, so we've been mostly inside, um, just having a chill day. We've had a long week, a long but very good week. Mm-hmm. Because I guess it was a week ago that yeah. we got married finally, officially. Yep. So congrats to you. <laughs> <laughs> congrats to me. I'm talking to myself right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Um, everything went well, considering the circumstances. I guess um, we were able to safely distance everybody for the most part. Have masks on when you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, don't seem to have any so far I haven't heard of anybody feeling bad or anything after that or, well I felt bad afterwards well, but that was because you drank like everything yeah <laughs> but it's your wedding night so you had to I remember trying to like call it after we went to the because we had the honeymoon suite and we were just gonna chill and, mm-hmm. and watch a concert uh on my laptop and you wanted to order more, and I was like, yeah, "I think it's. I think we're good. Like I could see you, and we were like, it was already. Well, it was not that late, but I knew the next day would not. We wouldn't feel great. Yeah, but I, but I, you I were think like, yeah. I think it's because I had like different drinks. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. And then you were like, "It's it's like our wedding. Like this is like the one time I can get like this. I'm like fine. So this I went down, got a <laughs> bottle of wine. We had some more. And then of course the next day you felt sick pretty much for the most of the most afternoon, of the day, yeah. morning. But you only have those occasions very rarely, so. Yeah, that probably won't happen, like, for a while. No, I wouldn't <laughs> think so. Um, but, yeah, everything went well. Thankfully, you know, the venue was really good about everything, handling handling everything. Um, our family all made it back home, okay. all right. Yeah. Some of them stayed at the hotel. Some of them were, like, nearby. Um, we had a little mini staycation. We just went downtown here. Since we can't really travel to like, to, we would have been in Japan yeah, right now if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah, which is sad, but at least we got married. I think that's <laughs> the most important. A nice consolation prize. That's. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I've had to pick one of the two. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, yeah. So now, I mean, it, it still feels the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm sure as we kind of start going through, like, you know. Adding to your insurance and then like maybe your name, last name hyphenated or who knows, maybe not. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's not <laughs> so, that I don't want to oh, do it. Yeah. It's just the pure laziness <laughs> is the one, it's the biggest hurdle yeah. for me. Um, and then you have work and stuff. So it's like, yeah, we had, we had all that stuff going on. Um, can you think of anything else? <laughs> no. And we got a pizza, we got a pizza oven. We got a pizza so. oven from your dad. So very uh, well, yes, shout out. Well, um. My dad doesn't listen, but if you were to listen, right. shout out to him. But um. but yeah, shout out to the <clears throat> listeners that were there. Um, your niece. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> your niece, uh, our photographer. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, the photographer team, really. Kat and mm-hmm. uh, shit. He was, 
(laughs) We had a nice conversation. I'm not great with first time names, but yeah, I don't, I I don't think I met him before. Yeah. Well, that that was the first time we both met him, but he was cool. They're both really cool. They liked that we do this as a side hobby and Mm -hmm. they, they seem to be really enjoying their their job so shout out guys yeah hopefully we can get those pictures soon so yeah i mean probably by the time this they hear this i'm (laughs) I'm sure they're not like the day of we gotta listen to josh and mindy (laughs) but who knows um yeah thanks for all those awesome pics we'll see them very soon yeah i know it's gonna it's gonna look pretty great yeah um and one of the pictures that she took was she hung my dress on a tree oh yeah yeah and those probably look really good yeah, they they seem to know how to position everything very well and just like get the best lighting and all that stuff. And we're just kind of like, sure, sure, why not? Whatever you say to do, <laughs> I'll do it. Um, but yeah, anyways, from that, um, yeah, that was our little quarantine catch up. Um, we do have a new treat for you to try. Yes. Um, for Mindy tries it. Okay. And explain what what it is. So it's M and M's. Uh, but it's white chocolate sugar cookie mm. M&M. And mm. it looks like the inside of the M&M looks different from regular well, ones. It's like it looks it looks like a, like the inside of a sugar cookie. Okay. I guess we can yeah, you can like maybe bite it in half and and okay. <laughs> you're doing ASMR again. Yeah, and there are Christmas colors. Oh, okay. Do you want sure. Yeah. Well, you got to go first. Okay. Oh, they're pretty. I thought they were like going to be big, like the peanut size ones, uh, but they're like plain size. But they're like more circular. Yeah. Compared to the regular. They look like Skittles. Yeah. Let me see. Mm. It sounded like the crispy M&M's. Mm, yeah. They're kind of, it's kind of crispy on the inside. It just looks white. Plain, plain white inside. Tastes like a sugar cookie. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I would like it, but I do like it because I'm not. It. I'm not a huge fan of white chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not bad. I thought the texture inside would be like weird too, but no, it's good. So you give it a thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs, thumbs up. up for M and M white mm-hmm. white chocolate sugar cookies. Yeah, I'll give it like. Wait, let me eat one more. <laughs> One more. <laughs> um, I'll give it like a 8.6. Wow, that's pretty high. Yeah. Out of 50. <laughs> um, yeah, mm. that's good. It tastes like just like a ball of frosting to me. So, I would But wouldn't little... you just eat a ball <laughs> of frosting? I mean, it's a lot of sugar. It's true. It's not bad, though. I would eat those if I was in a pinch. Yeah, I mean, if I need like a little energy boost, mm-hmm. like I just I eat a few of those and I'll keep these on hand later if mm-hmm. it's uh, if you're starting to get yeah. Carried. But I highly recommend that one for sure. You highly recommend these? Yeah. Wow. Along with the Kit Kats, that mint Kit Kats that we got, mm-hmm. they were really good too. They're doing. They're continuing on that. There's a podcast, Freedom, that is awesome, and uh, they they doing like trying every M M&M and M and ranking them. And they, I was listening to the latest one, and mm-hmm. they they had uh, a pretzel one, but they didn't really like mm-hmm. it. And they said the peanut butter one, they all just like picked us. Well, <laughs> the yeah, top. I was obviously yeah, that, that yeah. Be. But I feel like 
pretzel would be good too, like the sweet and I salty. I think Scott or Scott Ackerman, the like the host of it, or I guess one of the hosts, um, he said that they all kind of taste stale, and so it kind of ruined it for the rest mm. of them. And so once he said that, they're like, "Oh yeah, it is like an old pretzel." <laughs> so maybe that's what ruined it. Maybe I would probably like a pretzel one too, though, honestly. Yeah, um, but because yeah. I like chocolate covered pretzels, can't really be peanut butter though. Yeah, it's true. Next week we'll find something else, hopefully somewhere. Um, by the time we record again and see if uh we just gotta invest in like those uh crates that um that just give you that just send you random yeah asian oh, snacks yeah because yeah, they have weird stuff yeah um but you know what i've always wanted to try um tomato chips mm. from canada because every everyone loves those potato oh. chips and i'm like really a ketchup yeah i mean we can make it like a not just candies it could be like yeah. snacks and stuff too yeah, we should look into that. Yeah, sure. But yeah, we'll get on that. Um, but for now, you know what's coming next. Let's go ahead and get into questioning Florida. So this is from actually yesterday. Oh, okay. <laughs> As when we're recording this, um, it was posted by whio.com, a news station. Well, and- does it have to do something with Thanksgiving? Um, actually, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, we didn't really do a Thanksgiving episode this year, but, uh, yeah. you guys get the gist. I mean... Indigenous people. Yeah. We, I mean, we fucked over the indigenous people. Like, what else is new? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That was the episode. <laughs> um, okay. Headline. Florida woman used fake fresh meth dating profile to target romantic rival. Wait, Fresh meth? <laughs> meth, yeah. Like M-E-T-H? Yes. <laughs> That's a dating website? No. she oh, Or is it like somewhere you can get she meth? She created a profile. I'll, I'll get into it. Okay. <laughs> that could be your question. That's fine. <laughs> this is from Miami. A Florida Keys woman is accused of posting a fake profile on a dating site that sent strangers to a romantic rival's home looking for sex. Mm. So I guess whoever she was interested in. It's like a love triangle or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. And so she she posted a fake profile that had that other girl's info on it. Vanessa Marie Huckaba. (laughs) Not even Huckabee. It's Huckaba. Huckaba. Or Hukaba. I don't know. Um, Was arrested Saturday and charged with cyber-stalking and harassing, according to Monroe County. Mm. Um, She was released the same day after posting a $5,000 bond, so... Um, according to sheriff's office, she sent, quote, threatening texts to a woman as well as posted her address on a dating website. Mm-hmm. The victim claimed to receive texts from Huckaba beginning October 21st after she began dating Huckaba's former boyfriend. So mm. I guess she was her, she okay. was his ex and so, she is harassing the new girl. So it's more like a love... Not well, a, not, it's it's well no it's not really a love triangle it's more like a love line with like an extra coordinate point <laughs> <laughs> yeah according to deputy cat donovan the victim was granted a restraining order against huckaba on october 28th the victim told police she has never met her according to so she didn't even know her she was it's, just, it's a guy like at least hot enough for I this to because i mean you'd have to be like Someone I'm very attracted to in order for me to deal with your ex. <laughs> but you're also not a Florida woman, so you have different standards, I guess. That's true. 
um, Huckabee said, you think texts are bad? Next is your house and your job. So mm-hmm. she just like straight up didn't even hold back on the out, outward threats. <laughs> At one point, the victim said she received a message on her phone from Huckabee's five-year-old daughter. Oh, shit. Which is fucking weird. Like, what did that say? <laughs> the victim blocked the phone number, but Huckabee called her from other numbers. Um, Huckabee then posted a profile under the name Island Babe One Two Three Four. Creative, the, <laughs> yeah, very creative. On the website seeking arrangement, so that was the site she was. Oh, on. okay. It's not just free meth or whatever <laughs> that was. The website advertises that it helps pair women with sugar daddies. And deputies said that she posted the victim's photo, cell phone number, and address, inviting men to come to the victim's home for sex. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Multiple strangers began arriving at the victim's residence thereafter, said the sheriff's office. Other strangers sent nude photos to the victim, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that's where we end. So. Yeah, okay, well. Yeah, short and sweet. Um, well, not sweet. Well, yeah, Fucked I mean, up. it's some, it's still not great, but I mean, compared to the other stories we've heard. Yeah, this one is, this one's pretty tame. Oh, I yeah. can just go into her Florida woman score right off the bat. Five for internet stalking. That's a new entry. Oh, okay. And that's it. No firearms. Yeah. Nothing else. So, I mean, could be worse, but. Um, that's not great. Don't, don't stalk people on the internet, okay? Yeah. Just don't do it. Or in real life. Yeah. So from what you know about the. Huckaba, the one that perpetrated all this. Mm-hmm. How old do you think she is? I'm guessing she's probably younger. Cause I mean, You're trying to read my face. Well, no, I just I because I just am assuming because she's more well versed when it comes to dating websites. <laughs> okay, that's smart. That she might be on the younger side of things. Okay. So I'm gonna and I mean to be like this salty over our boyfriend. I'm guessing maybe she's maybe 28 or something. <laughs> She's 29 years old. Ah, yes. <laughs> you should be on like a game show of just this. People read you, <laughs> read you stories about somebody and you guess their age. Uncanny. Nice. Very nice. Okay. Um, yeah. So just five points for her, but yeah, not not great. Yeah. There's other ways to um, get attention from your ex. Or just find a new or guy. Or just also move on. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, she's so young. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, her craziness might mm-hmm. override her. <laughs> they didn't have a they didn't have a um, mugshot on this one, so who knows? She might look like forty nine, like a lot of the. It's true. Florida people do, especially with the fresh meth as her. Oh yeah, so that fresh meth was on the profile, I guess that she put. It didn't even yeah. mention it in the article, but I, and I was gonna I was gonna make a comment about that because I'm like, <laughs> is there such thing as fresh meth? Isn't meth? I, I mean, I don't know how you make meth, but. I assume it's like a bunch of chemicals you put together. That's not organic at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she, I guess it was to, it, it just said she posted fresh meth tonight or something. Like, I guess to attract Florida men. Maybe that's the main reason they mm. came over. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, moving on. Let's get into my story. Okay. So, again, I didn't mention at the top, but we're doing Wild Card Month, which I guess this might be the last one since it'll already be December. We have more. We'll get back to our normal format. But for this last one, I'm taking a page out of your book. Oh. So I'm going to be teaching you about something that you would probably talk about normally to me. And it's about Anna Ivanovna's Ivanovna. It's like a lot of ends in there. Okay. 
at Anna Ivanovna's Ice Palace. Okay. And so this happened um, in the 1700s. So Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And we'll see if you've heard about any of this on your numerous YouTube ventures and I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of the YouTube that I watch is historical, educational kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. science things. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I might know about it. You might, but uh, you won't know the specifics, so let's just read about it. So this is from a Slate article from Jennifer Wright uh, about five years ago. Okay. And I'll just basically be reading uh, in her voice because she kind of just... She wrote a whole book about this this woman, okay, uh, this empress, and uh, she she goes she just kind of has a an article about it that she tells you about her. So okay, I suspect if you ask people what the worst possible outcome of a heartbreak could be, most would say I will never love again, and that would be terrible. It's unlikely that would happen, but it would certainly be very sad. Mm-hmm. However, that's not the worst outcome. You could post a fake profile of. <laughs> no, uh, you could become a crazed supervillain who goes about systematically destroying other people's relationships, trying to make sure everyone's experiences of the pitfalls of love mirrors your own. Oh. Yeah, I mean that's one way to react to <laughs> yes. that, I guess. So I mean, yeah, Huckabah <laughs> compares like pales in comparison to this. Yeah, as you'll find out, this will also probably not happen. Very few people have the time or power to seriously and maliciously influence others' romantic circumstances. But you know who had a ridiculous amount of time on her hands, almost limitless power, and an unhappy romantic history? The 18th century Russian empress Anna Ivanovna. Okay. So, a little about her background. Born in 1693, Anna was the daughter of Tsar Ivan V. Who was uh, often- Ivan the Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was often referred to as Ivan the Ignorant. I don't um, know if they're the same person or there's just two. I just, I know there's a, a Russian czar called Ivan the Terrible, but I'm not sure <laughs> if there was more than one Ivan. Oh. Russian. Well, there, well, this is Ivan the Fifth, so maybe Terrible is Fourth. <laughs> oh, maybe. Uh, who knows? The, this descriptor makes him sound more competent than he was, so <laughs> it's even worse. He was apparently mentally deficient to such an extent that he would remain in a nearly vegetative state for hours on end. He could only walk with the support of courtiers, uh, courtiers. I don't know what that means. Oh, those, like, those are the people like that help them around. Okay, like yeah. courtiers or something. Mm-hmm. And was capable only of performing ceremonial functions, ceremonial functions as czar, while Peter the Great, who was Anna's uncle and co-czar, performed most of the real court. So mm-hmm. he was kind of just like there for show. Yeah, I've heard of Alexander the Great. He did a bunch of shit. <laughs> well, this is Peter the Great. Oh, Peter the Great. Did I say Alexander the Great? I think, I don't know. We'll go back and I'll edit or won't edit if I was right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anna had something of an odd childhood. Her mother wasn't a happy woman and sternly believed in maintaining the old Russian ways. That sounds like every (laughs) royal mom ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter what country you're in or continent or wherever. (laughs) That meant little education for girls. So Anna was barely literate. Mm. And she wasn't pretty. Oh, okay. Well, make well just, yeah, just even worse. Yeah, down. for real. <laughs> I mean, at, at least I mean the attractiveness you can't really help. Yeah, but I mean you can teach her to read. Right. I mean that's. I mean I guess back then it wasn't a basic thing, but mm-hmm. 
No, they, just, they didn't believe in it. I guess not. Immersion's a hard language. Language, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. They make everything difficult over there. That's true. The author, <laughs> Thomas Carlyle, once cruelly described her cheeks as, quote, Westphalian ham. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think, I guess Westphalian is like a, it's like a place, describing a place, but ham, I, I don't know. Just, does she look Just like ham? <laughs> like a, a pig's butt? <laughs> She is said to have had terrible manners and a grim demeanor. Well, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, get, didn't get the greatest start. It just They just keep kicking her off. Uh, her notable lack of pleasing attributes did not keep her from being married off, though. In, 710, in 1710, she married Frederick William, the Duke of Courland. And Anna was so excited about this. Before the wedding, she wrote a letter to him which declared... I cannot but assure your highness that nothing could delight me more than to hear of your declaration of love for me. Aww. Which he was probably like, mm. uh, Someone wrote that for me. <laughs> for my part, I assure your highness that I share your feelings. At our next happy meeting, to which I look forward eagerly, I shall, God willing, avail myself of the opportunity of expressing them to you personally. Mm. So this is her just, yeah. And Insert the, uh, <laughs> what's that song called? Oh, the yeah. uh, um, silent whisper. Oh, careless whisper. Careless whisper. Yeah. <laughs> silent whisper. <laughs> You're just like it's like a reiterating whisper. What a whisper already is. Um, <laughs> the wedding was beautiful. Anna wore a cape embroidered with gold and a bejeweled tiara, and the ceremony ended with a display of fireworks. Oh man, so, I should I should have wore a cape to our wedding. <laughs> cape. It, wait, is a veil like a cape? Not really. No, because. Uh, a veil i mean a cape doesn't start on your head that's one. true it goes on your neck it goes around your neck so yeah. that's the part the a cape would be more badass <laughs> yeah. and then you just have somebody take it off you and put it no i'd be, i'd throw it off like pew, right <laughs> dance. throw it off to the side yeah fair enough um so this is when she was all hopeful full of like dreams hopes and dreams but am get, i at that stage right <laughs> <now>? <laughs> I guess we'll see. two days after the couple's marriage Anna's uncle, Tsar Peter the Great, staged a wedding of two dwarfs as a companion celebration to Anna's. Okay. <laughs> Random. It, it was an incredibly elaborate affair. According to Lindsay Hughes in Peter the Great, a biography, this is what she said. At the feast, the dwarves sat at miniature tables in the center of the room, while full-sized guests watched them from tables at the sides. They roared with laughter as dwarves, especially the older, uglier ones who had hunchbacks, huge bellies, and short, crooked legs, made it difficult for them to dance, fell down drunk, or engaged in brawls. Well, you know, that sounds awful. But if you <laughs> and just leave it there. <laughs> so, but if if you think about how dwarves or and anyone with disabilities at the time were treated. It's par for the course, I guess. Yeah, I mean, at least they like got to have a wedding and get fucking drunk and have fun. Yeah. For a day, at least. <laughs> the dwarves. Yeah. Uh, and, it also reminds me of when um, I used to, uh, well, um, when I was working at uh, another school district, they had like a Head Start program and like all the kids were like three or four. Mm -hmm. And so like their, all their tables are so little and the chairs are so little. <laughs> <laughs> this will kind of remind me of that of like seeing all the tables and stuff and then when they sat down they're so little so cute okay so you're kind of on board <laughs> yeah i'm okay with this okay uh the dwarves were all systematically killed 
Oh, shit. <laughs> no, I just made that up. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make you feel bad. So she continues. <laughs> I assume the dwarf wedding was intended as a cruel parody of Anna's. A horrible commentary on how ugly and ill-mannered Anna was. Mm. And that's kind of true. But according to Hughes, it was a bigger, more elaborate joke where Peter was expressing his contempt not only for Anna, but for the entire Russian court. Like all Peter's mock spectacles, Hughes writes, the dwarf wedding also operated on a more symbolic level. It's a juxtaposition with the wedding of Anna and the Duke, and its imitation of certain elements suggested that the full-sized guests were watching caricatures of themselves, miniature lords and ladies clad... Oh, Dressed like them in unfamiliar Western dress. Was that was that I was doing with my students? <laughs> I was observing them like you're just little. I think this is this might be where you can cut ties with the story. <laughs> yeah. You're Any right. similarities with the disabled? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. Between his marriage to Anna <laughs> and attending the weird dwarf wedding, Frederick William drank a lot. <laughs> I mean, didn't everyone drink a lot? <laughs> Yeah, he even engaged, he maybe especially though, he even engaged in a drinking contest with Peter the Great. Okay. Trying to keep up, Frederick drank so much that he fell ill immediately after the marriage and died two months later. Oh, shit. So what, what I'm thinking is, what the like, it took him that long to die? He, he got sick immediately after, but then still lasted two months. So it, was it just like a Maybe slow organ, liver? organ yeah, failure yeah. or something like that. But, I mean, he held on for a bit. Yeah. So Anna was a widow. That sucks because of him. He it makes me feel bad because she she was so happy before, and now her husband's dead. Mm-hmm. Well, this is where the it story takes turn. Yeah. takes even more of a turn. And uh, so she was a widow and desperate to remarry. She wrote her family more than three hundred letters, most of them expressing her fervent desire for a husband. Peter the Great rejected every suitor until Anna seemed to sour on the concept altogether. Bitterness, a very understandable sentiment, overtook her. She wanted to punish people who were happy in love. Think of the times when you follow a break, or think of the times following a breakup when you audibly groaned when you saw a couple making out on a street corner. No one epitomizes this mindset more than Anna Ivanovna. In fact, her bizarre reaction to her romantic disappointment is without question what she is most remembered for. With with Frederick William's death, Anna became ruler of Corland. And then, most surprising, in 1730, she became empress and autocrat of all the Russias. So she's mm, like phenomenal true. cosmic power, right? <laughs> of all of Russia, as a uh, genie once said. Was it no? Was it Jafar? Do you no, it was, it was it was genie. Was it genie? Phenomenal cosmic. cosmic no, power. that is Jafar. No, no. I thought he said that. Oh, is it? Okay. No, he said <laughs> cosmic power. In space, remember? Phenomenal cosmic power. Yeah, you might be right. Um, Who's the Disney expert here? <laughs> it's true. Um, I don't think she ever recovered from the grotesque dwarf spectacle of her own wedding or the fact that she was never allowed to marry again. And she certainly had no reason to think well and to think well of the institution, considering that her parents' marriage seemed to be made solely for political reasons. I mean... That's every royal marriage, like... Yeah, they're all for political reasons. Like, since the... <laughs> even, like, the royal family in England. Mm-hmm. I mean, Princess Diana and uh, Prince Charles. That was really, like, a strategic yeah. marriage on their on their behalf. Mm-hmm. So... 
So when Prince Mikhail, from one of the most notable houses in Russia, married a Catholic Italian woman, it was as if he was making out on a street corner in front of her forever. Mm. Anna may have hated and lo- uh, hated love and marriage in general, but she despised Catholics. And they were really happy, Prince Mikhail and his bride. Anna went apeshit. Mikhail's wife died shortly after their marriage, to his great sorrow, so you would think that would be the end of it. However, Anna didn't seem to believe that this was sufficient punishment for falling in love in the first place. Okay, death isn't sufficient punishment <clears throat> death of your like your spouse yes no not for her okay she turned mikhail into a court jester he had to pretend to be a chicken he had to sit on a nest of eggs in anna's reception room and pretend to lay them when visitors came to see her mm, interesting you would think this would be the end of the story but anna wanted to punish him even further for daring to get married Seemingly, she intended to show him and everyone the folly of love and marriage, especially the Catholics, and wanted a total victory over all infidels. So in 1739, she ordered the construction of a massive ice palace, 80 feet long and 33 feet high, where all the blocks were glued together with water. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I wouldn't make it in any other context, (laughs) but in this context, it makes sense. Inside was a furnished bridal suite made of ice. The bed, the pillows, even the clocks. I mean, I'm just impressed at the technology at this, in 1739, to be able to do all that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, when you live in a land that's like mostly ice, I mean, you gotta. Like, how would you make a functioning clock? I'm sure maybe. (laughs) Aren't they supposed to move? Is it it just like, you look at the rate it melts? (laughs) I don't know, but anyways. Outside, there were ice trees in which ice birds, ice birds nested. So it's just a whole world of ice. Oh, okay. It's like World 4 on Mario, Super Mario. I don't know if it's World 4, but it's one of those. <laughs> there was even an ice statue of an elephant that spouted water from its trunk. Oh, okay. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> the elephant could also bellow in a realistic manner because a man sat inside of it blowing a horn. Yeah, I feel that guy's butt must be freezing all the time. Side note, the number of terrible jobs in old Russia are absolutely endless, and the revolution was completely understandable. So <laughs> this guy had one of those jobs yeah. where he's like, yeah, it's a living. Uh, the giant ice palace might have been a fun, if useless, and temporary national point of pride. But it also might be remembered for its whimsy if Anna hadn't attempted to use it to stage a deadly wedding. Because mm. it wasn't just an ice palace. It was also intended to serve as a torture chamber. Oh, <laughs> so it's kind of like Anne Boleyn from the previous podcast that we did where she like um, like murdered all the servants and stuff. Yeah, or um, Elizabeth Bathory or something. Bathory, I'm sorry. Is that, that her Yeah, Anne Boleyn is someone else that <laughs> did similar things. I don't know why. I, the, the name Bathory just sticks out to me because it was so random or so I never heard it before. I just remembered yeah. it. Um, Bitter Anna decided to marry Prince Mikhail to one of her maids. Uh, a Kalmyk woman called Avdotya Ivanovna. The maid was apparently very old and ugly, so this union was clearly not intended as a reward for the prince or as a prize for the maid. On the day of their wedding, the couple were dressed as clowns and made to ride an elephant to be presented to a laughing crowd. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it all seems kind of very nonsensical Mm -hmm. and cruel. Yeah, that's basically what she does. Uh, 
They were tailed by a group of people deemed ethnically undesirable and physically handicapped. So, again, just using people as, like, tools. Yeah. In many ways, the farcical nature of the wedding was similar to what Anna must have seen and felt when Peter the Great staged the mock dwarf wedding after her marriage. Immediately after the wedding, the couple was forced to spend their wedding night inside the ice palace naked. Ah, no. <laughs> no, I mean, they're not having sex that night at all. You might be surprised. What, really? How? I don't know. During one of the coldest winters in Russian history, I forgot to mention that, <laughs> the expectation was that they would freeze to death horribly. But they did not. They emerged the next morning. Supposedly, they survived because the bride traded her pearls for a coat from one of the guards. Oh, okay. So I don't know when this happened, how, because they were naked, but, I mean, kudos. I mean, yeah, I mean, why do you need pearls when you have a jacket? <laughs> Especially in an ice palace. Mm -hmm. They also spent the night running around wildly and apparently breaking anything they could find. The popular legend is that the couple went on to enjoy a happy marriage and have twins, conceived that night on the ice mattress. Okay, that's... I, I call that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it says legend, so... Because, I mean, I, I I know not a lot about male anatomy, mm -hmm. but I know if it's cold, it's harder for guys to, you know... <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like putting a, a freeze pop into an igloo. Like, no matter how much <laughs> you try, it's not going to work. It, yeah, I mean, maybe if it's frozen stiff. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> maybe that could can, work. Can your dick be frozen <laughs> no no let's not find out okay maybe that's something michelle we can ask michelle <laughs> <laughs> tune in to episode 154 we frozen have dicks <laughs> well i'll just record my phone call with her and ask okay. her yeah yeah and we'll insert it <laughs> yeah that sounds good uh historians now say that's unlikely <laughs> and records point to the fact that the woman already in weak health died a few days after the ice palace experience Likely of pneumonia. I mean, so I think that was just people kind of messing around. Yeah. As for Anna, she died the following October of kidney troubles. She left no heirs, and to this day, people often describe her as the worst ruler in Russian history. I mean, if all you did was create ice palaces, I mean, how much did you really contribute to your, your people? Right. <laughs> okay, so that's her? Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't look that much different from other <laughs> royal paintings that I've seen. Uh, her face is a little uh, foobar. What, how do you? <laughs> how would you describe it? Just, um, just kind of like an older woman. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She doesn't. Again, especially when like some people say like, "Oh, this woman was beautiful" or whatever. <laughs> I look. I look at their paintings and I'm just like, really. Is this, <laughs> yeah. Is this like hideous to you guys? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. There you go. All right. So she's the ice queen. The ice queen. It's interesting to kind of dive into your. I wanted to kind of give you a reverse, <laughs> reverse. episode, but I'm sure you'll probably have some some kind of historical story as well. Yeah, I, I would have done something re reverse too if I would have known. No, it's okay. I just wanted to. We can double up, up on it. Yeah, change it up a little bit. We can do that down the road. We can do a reverse where I'll, you can do a more recent story yeah. and I'll, I'll do something in history. 
We'll see how I, that goes. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you find because mm-hmm. I, I feel like we just have, um, especially when it comes to historical stuff, I have kind of maybe different interests mm-hmm. or things I look into more like that are different from yeah. what you would. So, yeah, we'll try that down the road, probably in uh, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> well, for now, we'll stick to our usual format. And uh, you can tell me about what you researched this week. Okay. So um, I figure because I bring this up sometimes during the podcast, I should talk about it at some point. So people know <laughs> okay. when I bring it up, they're like, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm talking. I'm going to talk about the Japanese internment camps in oh, the yeah. United States okay. or concentration camps. It depends who you are. <laughs> right. Um. So before I go into that part, I need to talk about the history of the Japanese coming to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so Japanese people first started immigrating to the U.S. in 1868 um, because during that time in Japan, there was something happening called the Meiji Restoration. Um, and so basically, just to like really oversimplify it for you, because um, it's very complicated. Um, before this point, there are people called shoguns who are basically running the country. Um, there was an emperor, but the emperor really didn't, didn't do anything. Um, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> um, and so... Go golfing a lot? <laughs> I don't think they golf. Maybe, maybe, maybe they went fishing instead. Okay. Um, so, um, and so also during that, around that, like before that time, Japan had basically shut off its borders to like the rest of the world because, um, just a lot of history of like countries kind of come and take over and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. It's really a lot of history surrounded by that. Um, except for Denmark, Denmark was the only only country they traded with so i don't know if the danish were just cool people like yeah yeah. you can can come trade with us but they were the only literally the only country japan would trade at the time Hmm. but then that meiji restoration thing happened and the japanese were kind of like hey remember when we had it when the emperor had like influence on politics and stuff like that let's go back to that and then there and then this guy Matthew Perry from the United States came in. Matthew Perry? Yeah. His name is Matthew Perry. Chandler? <laughs> yeah. And, I was, and then the Japanese were like, oh, shit, you're Matthew Perry? Like, we're friends? <laughs> He's like, could I be anymore? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and basically, he landed in Japan and he was like, hey, trade with us. And the Japanese people were like, no. And then he was like, but we'll attack if you don't. And they were like, okay, so... They, then they opened up their borders to foreigners. Hmm. Um, and then and then because they opened up and they saw, you know, um, industrialization was happening and they were like, maybe we should make machines and stuff to like make products faster and <laughs> things like that. Um, so that's kind of like around the time people started leaving Japan. Okay. Um, so a lot of the Japanese people immigrated to Hawaii, obviously, because the Hawaii is the closest state to japan um and a lot of the reason they moved over there is because um is because they needed money really because as with a lot of countries that become industrialized um living conditions aren't great Mm -hmm. um and there's really high unemployment because there's machines doing all the shit that they would have done 
a lot right. of the workers would have done. Um, and so they heard that um, America was the land of promise. And um, and they went to Hawaii because it was more appealing than other Asian countries like China or Korea because it's fucking Hawaii. And Hawaii's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't need to explain it. Um, and so um, moving to Hawaii was especially appealing to men who were the younger siblings in their family because there was a practice in Japan where the eldest son inherits the entire parent's estate. And so, like, if you were the second or third son or whatever, you'd get nothing. Oh, okay. So that's why they <laughs> – but a, a lot of them went over there so right. they could make their own money or whatever. Um, and so in – 1870, in the United States, there were only 55 Japanese that were arriving over there. And during that, um, and then during the time, a lot of more immigration came around 1890, just 20 years later, there were more than 2,000 people going over there. So it's a huge increase. Yeah. And so a lot of the Japanese people worked in the sugarcane fields in Hawaii. Um. And then there's something called the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. Um, and basically, there are a lot of Chinese people in California. And then, I guess, because Americans were fucking racist at the time. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> oh, still. But especially back then, <laughs> they were more overtly racist, I guess. Yeah. Um, this really impacted Japanese immigration because um, basically with that acted was just limit the people uh, limit the amount of, Jap- of Chinese people that could come and work in mm-hmm. the United States and they were like and like they didn't say anything about Japanese people so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, so <laughs> and so um so they um the Japanese people basically replaced the Chinese laborers that were there before and uh, they're like they won't tell the difference <laughs> yeah they're fine <laughs> Um, and so between 1901 and 1908, um, 127,000 Japanese entered the U- United States. Um, and a lot of them moved to mainland the U.S. to settle in oh, okay. states like California, Oregon, and Washington. Um, and they're mostly farmers and fishermen. Um, and so, like a lot of American history, um, there's a history of legalized discrimination yep. and <laughs> American immigration laws um, which heavily restricted uh, Japanese immigration um, there's a number of Japanese in the United States increase resentment against their success in the farming industries and fears of the yellow peril God <laughs> the yellow peril yeah uh, grew into anti-Japanese movement similar to that based it with earlier Chinese immigrants. <laughs> Such a terrible name. Yeah. Increased pressure from the um, Ashlandic Exclusion League and the San Francisco Board of Education. So there's a dark side of the Board of Education. Imagine having a league just meant to exclude people. <laughs> uh, like a whole continent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like that's your whole purpose. It's, you're just entirely focused on doing that. Um so, pressure from those two groups forced President Roosevelt to negotiate what it's called the Gentlemen's Agreement with Japan in 1907. It was agreed that Japan... They sent David Schwimmer for that one? <laughs> <laughs> actually, <laughs> they sent... Uh, no, they... Actually, Matt LeBlanc. 
I was going to say I know Jennifer all the Anderson. actors' names yeah. from that show. Um, it was agreed that Japan would stop issuing valid passports for the U.S. This agreement was intended to curtail Japanese immigration to the U.S., but Japanese women were still allowed to immigrate if they were wives of U.S. residents. Okay. Um, and prior to 1908, there were about sev- seven out of eight ethnic Japanese in the United States were men. But then by 1924, the ratio changed to approximately four women to every six men. Oh, very close. So I guess just Japanese, Japanese women were hooking up with mm-hmm. men over here. Yeah, you do yeah. what you gotta do. Yeah, but that <laughs> did it. <laughs> um, Japanese immigration in the U.S. effectively ended when Congress passed the Immigration Act of 1924, which banned all but a few token Japanese people mm-hmm. to immigrate in the United States. So that's... Just a little quota. Yeah. So that's kind of the history of how Japanese people came to be in the U.S. Okay. Um, and then World War II! Mm, yay. yay! And then Pearl Harbor! <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor okay. on December seventh, nineteen forty one. I've never heard that said with that joy <laughs> in someone's voice before. I, you know, it's it. I know it's not. It's it's a terrible thing, it but it's just kind of like you just gotta light it up. You know, it happened in the past, and you know, yeah, we remember it. It's uh, how it's actually happening. The anniversaries in. I think it's next week for the following. Oh, really? Next next Monday. Okay. Um, so, after Pearl Harbor, and if you don't know about Pearl Harbor, you should know about Pearl Harbor, so I don't want to explain it to you. Go watch the movie. Josh Hartnett movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, after that, military and political leaders um, started to suspect that Imperial Japan was preparing a full-scale invasion of Hawaii in the west coast of the United States. Reasonable expectation, yeah. American public opinion initially stood by the large population of Japanese Americans living on the west coast. Mm. So they had, they were on the right side for... Initially. Initially. What was that? Initially. There you go. With the Los Angeles Times characterizing them as, quote, good Americans, born and educated as such. The end. <laughs> everything ended up okay. Yeah, everything was fine. <laughs> Many Americans believed that their loyalty to the United States was unquestionable. However, six weeks after the attack, public opinion along with the Pacific began to turn against Japanese Americans living on the West Coast as the press and other Americans became nervous about the potential of for fifth column. Um, activity and fifth column activity basically what that means is any group of people who undermine the larger group from within usually in favor of an enemy group or nation a bunch of moles yeah exactly um several concerns over the loyalty of ethnic japanese seem to stem from racial prejudice rather than any evidence the, <laughs> common theme, yeah. uh, the Roberts Commission report, which investigated the Pearl Harbor attack, was released on January 25th and accused persons of Jan- Japanese ancestry of espionage leading up to the attack. Although reports from key findings from General Walter Shore and Admiral, his name is Husband Kimmel, <laughs> had not been, been doing their duty at the time of the attack, um, and one passage made vague re- reference to Japanese agents and other persons having no open relations with Japanese Foreign Service. 
um, transmitting information to Japan. And it was unlikely that these spies were Japanese Americans, as Japanese intelligence agents were distrustful of other American counterparts and prefer to recruit white persons and Negroes. So, how, so despite the fact that the report made no mention of Americans of Japanese ancestry, um, the national and West Coast media nevertheless used the report to vilify Japanese Americans and blame the public opinion against them. So basically, there's no evidence, but they, yeah. they still were like, it's... What's the point of a report then? You're just going to read the report and be like, okay, but still. Yeah, but still. But still. <laughs> yeah, but still, they're Japanese. They're Japanese, even though they've been living here for like decades. Yeah, the more like stories, like everything just stays the same sometimes. Yeah. We don't, we don't learn from our past. Yeah, and people don't take reports or like facts as truth anymore they just feel they just like kind of let's just let's move on okay (laughs) um on february 19th 1942 fdr signed an executive order um 9066 with the intention of preventing espionage in american shores the executive order authorized military commanders to designate military areas at their discretion from which any or all persons may be excluded. These exclusion zones were applicable to anyone that an authorized military commander might choose, whether a citizen or not. Hmm. So, I mean, basically, he's just, like, giving the military the power to just, like, if you think someone is suspicious, like, you know, just put them somewhere. Sounds safe. Um, Thus began the removal of all persons of Japanese ancestry from the West Coast. However, this was signed before there are any facilities completed to house the displaced Japanese Americans. <laughs> you mean Americans. they didn't thoroughly prepare this? No. Wow. Um, Shocked to my core. <laughs> so after the voluntary evacuation program failed to result in many that to result in many families having to le- leaving the ex- exclusion zone, the military took charge of non-mandatory evacuations, and in nineteen. Uh, I mean, on April 9th, 1942, um, something called the Wartime Civilian Control Administration was established um, to coordinate the forced removal of Japanese Americans to inland concentration camps or internment mm-hmm. camps of Japanese Americans. Um, so not great. Mm-hmm. Um, the best known facilities were military-run Wartime Civil Control Administration and the Assembly Centers of Civilian-Run War Relocation Authority, which are, again, referred to as internment camps. The the Department of Justice operated the camps officially and called them internment camps, which were used to detain those suspected of crimes or of enemy sympathies. Surprised they didn't frame it as like fun houses. Fun houses. The government also operated camps for a number of German Americans and Italian Americans who sometimes were assigned to share facilities with the Japanese Americans. So basically, anyone that like was of the Axis powers. So they had, they got some of those too? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that before, yeah, but yeah. Me neither. Yeah, but yeah, there were some German and Italian Americans that were put in these camps. Not as much as the Japanese, but. Right, obviously. But. Yeah. Well, the Germans, it's fine. <laughs> Who cares about the Germans? They did enough. I'm just kidding. I, I have nothing against Germany and its people I'd love to visit. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh, they're calling you. 
don't, don't, please don't. I, I want to go to Germany someday. <laughs> Eight U.S. Department of Justice camps, which were located in Texas, Idaho, North Dakota, and Mexico, and Montana, held Japanese Americans, primarily non-citizens, and their families. Um, the camps were run by Immigration and Naturalization Service under the umbrella of the Department of Justice and guarded by Border Patrol agents rather than military police. Hmm. Um, and the population of camps included um, Buddhists, Christian minis- and Christian ministers, um, school instructors, newspaper workers, fishermen, and community leader- leaders, um, and other fifth-column people that were accused doing that kind of activity that based on FBI reports after Pearl Harbor. So like the, the people that they think. Right. Nothing more suspicious than Christian ministers. <laughs> Those bastards. <laughs> um, so the conditions of the camps. Um, I'm sure they were awesome. Yeah. So in 1943, Secretary of the Interior, Howard X, wrote, quote, the situation in at least some of the Japanese internment camps is bad and is becoming worse rapidly. <laughs> okay. So not a great, mm-hmm. not a great quote. According to a 1943 War Relocation Authority report, internees were housed in tar paper covered barracks of a simple frame construction without plumbing or cooking facilities of any kind. Mm. Um, the facilities met international laws, but left much to be desired. <laughs> <laughs> international going by the lowest, like, yeah, l- literally the country. lowest standard you can go f- to not be like, I guess, in their minds, like, right, cruel. Many camps were built quickly by civilian contractors during the summer of 1942 based on designs of military barracks. Making old Bill over here has a wrecking ball. <laughs> he can take care of this and then Yeah, it's like, hey, doesn't Bill have that wrecking ball we could use to, you know, level all this land to make these Yeah, these... let's assign assign ten thousand prisoners to here. It's like, well, yeah, but it's not going to be enough. It's like, it's fine. We'll work on it. They're, ja- they're, they're Japanese Americans. They don't matter. Yeah. They were based on designs of military barracks, making the buildings poorly equipped for Kranz family living. Yeah. <laughs> barracks are not meant to be housing families, FYI. Yeah. Throughout many camps, 25 people were forced to live in a space built to contain four. Oh my God. So, it's not great. Um, armed guards were posted at the camps, uh, which were all remote, desolated areas far away from population centers. Um, internees were typically allowed to stay with their families. Um, there are documented instances of guards shooting internees who reportedly attempted to walk outside of the fences. I would imagine. One such shooting of that of James Wakaza led to the reevaluation of security measures in the camp. Um, there's a phrase um, that is loosely translated to it cannot be helped, which is like shinkata ga niya in Japanese. It was commonly used to summarize the intern family's resignation to their hopelessness throughout these conditions. Mm, yeah. Further, it was noted that parents may have internalized these emotions to withhold their disappointment and anguish from affecting their children, but nevertheless, children were um, so cognizant of the emotional repression mm-hmm. obviously um the extreme co- climates of the remote incarceration sites were hard on infants and elderly prisoners 
The frequent dust storms of the high desert locations led to increased cases of asthma and something I cannot pronounce for the life of me. <laughs> Try to spell it. It's okay. C O C C I D I O I D O M I C O S I S. Cockademiosis? Something like, I don't know. <laughs> it's too many letters for me to picture. It's some kind mind. of disease. That's fine. <laughs> uh, while the swampy mosquito infested Arkansas camps exposed residents to malaria. Um, and luckily they did have hospitals in the camps. Um, they weren't great, <laughs> but they were there. <laughs> um, almost 6,000 live deliveries were performed in these hospitals, <laughs> and all the mothers received pre- and post-natal care, which is good. Mm-hmm. And then it was recorded that over 10 camps, there were 1,862 deaths um, linked to cancer, heart disease, tuberculosis, and vascular diseases. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's what happens. And it's like, I know it's like not as bad as like, obviously, you know, right. the concentration Ho- camps. Yeah. yeah, but it's still not great. <laughs> yeah, it happened here. Yeah. Of the 110,000 Japanese Americans detained in the United States government during World War II, 30,000 were children. Most were school-aged children, so educational facilities were set up in the camps, allowing them to continue their education. Mm, that's sweet. However, <laughs> that did not erase the potential for traumatic experiences during the overall time in the camps. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, cam- the government did not adequately plan for the camps, and no real budget oh, or plan-, <laughs> plan was set aside for the new camp educational facilities. <laughs> um, camp schoolhouses were crowded and had insufficient materials, books, notebooks, and desks for students. Hmm. Um, Four not- desks for every twenty-five <laughs> students. Yeah. <laughs> not only did not only that the educational and instruction and slash instruction was all in English, <laughs> and I imagine they all spoke Japanese. Might be a uh, barrier there. Yeah. The schools and Japanese internment camps also didn't have any books or supplies to go as um, they opened. Okay. So people were just basically talking to these kids in a language they didn't understand. <laughs> Very limited supplies. And so this is about the end of the camps. On December 18th, 1944, the Supreme Court handed down two decisions on the legality of the incarceration under the Executive Order 9066. Oh yeah, on second thought, (laughs) this might not be the best idea. (laughs) Kormatasu versus United States, a 6-3 to decision upholding um, the Japanese conviction over violating military exclusion order stated that in general the removal of japanese americans from the west coast was constitution constitutional was constitutional yeah okay uh, however ex parte endo unanimously declared on the same day that loyal citizens of the united states regardless of their cultural descent could not be detained without cause and if- <laughs> so that was already an existing thing that happened the same day. Those two those two rulings. Oh no! Oh, okay. Yeah. In effect, the two rulings held that while the eviction of American citizens in the name of military necessity was legal, the subsequent incarceration was not, thus paving the way for their release. Hmm. 
having been alerted to the court's decision, the, Ro- the Roosevelt administration, yeah, because this went with two presidents. Okay. Um, yeah. Issued a public proclamation number 21 the day before um, those rulings were made public. In 1917, 1944. And the, the proclamation was just. We fucked up. Oh, oh my bad. Our bad. <laughs> Our bad. Um, the rescinding of the exclusion orders and declaring that Japanese Americans could return to the West Coast in the next month. The remaining population began to leave the camps to try to build, rebuild their lives mm-hmm. at home. Former inmates were giving $25 and a train ticket to their pre-war places of residence, but many had little or nothing to return to, having lost their homes and businesses. Yeah. While Japanese There's $25, sorry. <laughs> Good luck. Last five years. <laughs> when Japanese Americans were sent to the camps, they could only take a few items with them, and while in- incarcerated, um, they could only work meager jobs with small monthly sal- salaries of 12 to $19. Yeah. So when internment ended, Japanese Americans not, uh, not only couldn't return to their homes and businesses, but they had little to nothing to survive on, let alone enough to start a new life. So some immigrated to Japan, um, although some people were sent there against their will. Mm-hmm. The camps remained open for residents who were not ready to return, mostly mostly elderly Japanese right. and young just children. Like, yeah, this just might as well. You, I mean, you fucked this over already. I know. Like, <laughs> um, but they were pressured. There was pressured stragglers to leave to start eliminating the camps. Um, those who had not left by each camp's close date were forcibly removed and sent back to the west coast. <laughs> Where? Anywhere, <laughs> I guess. Death Valley. Many Japanese Americans encountered continued housing injustice after the war. Alien land laws in California, Oregon, and Washington barred the Japanese from owning their pre-war homes and farms. <laughs> Many had cultivated land for decades as tenant farmers, but they lost their rights to farm those lands when they were forced to leave. Um, other Japanese had found family that were willing to occupy um, their homes and tend their farms during their incarceration. Oh. So some of them were... Yeah. Yeah. Um, psycholo- psychological injury was observed by Dylan S. Meyer, director <laughs> of these camps. In June 1945, Meyer described how Japanese Americans had grown increasingly depressed um, and overcome their feelings of helplessness and personal insecurity. Was. <laughs> yeah. um, Japanese Americans also encountered hostility and even violence when they returned to the West Coast. Concentrated largely in rural areas of Central California, there were dozens of reports of gunshots, fires, and explosions aimed at Japanese Americans' homes, business, businesses, and places of worship. So the rural areas were the problem. Yeah. Isn't that a strange concept? Ironic. Yeah. <laughs> In addition to nonviolent crimes like vandalism and defacing Japanese graves, which is fucked up, in one of the few faces to, uh, cases to go on trial, you're going to get really mad at this. Four men were accused of attacking the Doi family in Placer County, California, setting off an explosion and starting a fire in the family's farm in January 1945. Despite a confession for one of the men and that... 
implicated the others, the jury accepted the defense attorney's framing of the attack as justifiable, uh, a justifiable attempt to keep America's, I mean, to keep California a white man's country and acquitted all four defendants. Wait, did you say a jury or a judge? No, it was a jury. So a, 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 jur, uh, a, ju- a jury, a jury, a, 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 like, a, like multiple a, people, multiple people, multiple people decided to keep America white again. And <laughs> well, that was the excuse. It was they, it was okay to um, start an explosion and start a family a fire on this family's farm because they wanted a they wanted to keep California a white man's country. That entire jury <laughs> executed. <laughs> I mean, they're dead by now, but... Probably, yeah. Like, what about the president that sits? Like... We'll get to that. Not this president. A future president. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying the president. Like, oh, the president. The pre- I the mean, pre- yeah. I, that also applies, but <laughs> the president that sits that you can be acquitted because you're protecting the whiteness of your country. That's how shit was back then. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I'm mad. (laughs) (laughs) To compensate... Oh, this is going to make you even angrier. Mm -hmm. Um, To compensate former internees for their property losses, Congress passed the Japanese American Claims Act in July 2nd, 1948. All right, cool. I'm on board for this. Allowing Japanese... sure it's a lot. Yeah. Allowing a Japanese American supply for compensation for property losses, which occurred occurred as... I'm excited. <laughs> a reasonable and natural consequence of yeah. the eviction or exclusion. Mm-hmm. Should be a lot. Mm-hmm. By the time the act was passed, the IRS had already destroyed most of the attorney's 1939 to 1942 tax rec- uh, records. Due to the time pressure and strict limits on how much they could take in the camps, few were able to preserve detailed tax and financial records during the evacuation process. Therefore, it was extremely gif- difficult for uh, claimants to establish their claims were valid. Under the act, Japanese-American families filed 26,568 okay, claims. seems like a lot of cases on back. Totaling $148 million mm-hmm. in requests. Yeah. About $37 billion were approved and dispersed. <laughs> so not even half. Hold on. How much was approved? $37 million. Out of what should have been 148 million. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's not even their fault. It's like they destroyed their tax records from when they went in the camps, and that's what they needed to get the money back. Yeah. So, beginning in the 1960s, a younger generation of Japanese Americans, inspired by the civil rights movement, began what is known as the Red Redis movement. Mm-hmm. An effort to obtain an official apology and reparations from the federal government for incarcerating their parents and grandparents during the war. In 1976, when President Gerald Ford proclaimed that the internment was, quote, wrong and, <laughs> Unquote. and a quote, and a quote, national mistake, which shall never again be repeated. President Ford signed a proclamation for uh, formally terminating the executive order 1966 and apologized for the internment stating quote we now know that we are racist <laughs> we now know what we should have known then not only was the evacuation wrong but japanese americans were 
and are loyal Americans. On the battlefield and at home, the names of Japanese Americans have been and continue to be written in history for their sacrifices and contributions they've made to the well-being and to the security of this, our common nation. So, it only took them, what, like, (laughs) five, ten years? The campaign of the redress was launched. Uh, like, um, they would then create. They were formed the Japanese American Citizens League, which which had cooperated with administration during the war to become part of the movement that was being that was happening with you know the junk Japanese Americans mm-hmm. trying to get justice for what was done to their families and stuff. It, they asked for three measures. First one. $25,000 be awarded to each person who was detained. An apology from Congress acknowledgingly, uh, acknowledging publicly that the, the U.S. government had been wrong. Mm-hmm. And the release of funds to set up an educational foundation for children of Japanese yeah. American families. Yeah. Um, and so they started this in 1978. In 1980, Congress established the Commission of Wartime Relocation and Internment of civ- uh, Civilians to study the matter. So it just took them three years to yeah. do something about it. <laughs> and then three years later, <laughs> the commission issued a report entitled Personal Justice Denied, conde- condemning the internment as unjust and motivated by racism and xenophobic ideas yeah. rather than factual <laughs> military than, necessity. Yeah. And or evidence. <laughs> Internment camp survivors sued the government for $24 million in property loss, but lost the case. However, the commission recommended the $20,000 be, um, be paid to those Japanese Americans who suffered internment, which is $5,000 less than what they asked for six years previously. Um, yeah, you don't, don't let them get greedy or anything. Yeah. And I mean, that's it. With that half for now, <laughs> again, uh, there there's so much more I could go on the <laughs> yeah, psychology no, and racial plenty. trauma. Yeah, racial trauma that like Japanese Americans still are going through right now mm-hmm. because it's similar to like, you know, how Jewish people feel, you know, about the Holocaust and right. things like that. And so, I mean, it's kind of like Thanks, government, for acknowledging that you were wrong. <laughs> Finally. Before, but fuck your $20,000. For real. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's... All right, yeah, there's a lot yeah. more context now whenever you bring that up. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I knew a lot of it. I mean, the gist of it, but definitely not the details. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's just the same old shit that mm-hmm. happens throughout history of... Mm-hmm. Um, with different groups and different times and different ways. Yeah, and exactly. on that note, let's drink our sorrows away. Let's go ahead and raise our glasses here. Good job. Yay. And go grab a refill. Right, bye, bye, guys. I mean, we fucked over the indigenous people. Like, what else is new?